from the Cyber Hub Bunker and Studio. You're tuning in to the Cyber Hub Podcast. And now for your host and CISO, James Azar. Happy Friday, Mr. Fulone. What's happening, buddy? What up, what up? Just another Friday. You know, I need to make a new intro for this show. <laughs> I'm going to do that this weekend. I'm going to do that this weekend. It's just going to be pictures of you and me everywhere. That's that sounds like it's going to <laughs> self-confident much <laughs> i like looking at myself before the show starts I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, i know but um welcome everyone to the the friday conversation between two CISOs. um christoph Fallon, for those who don't know uh written a few you've written one or two books now christoph. two books co-author help contribute to another um understanding and measuring cyber risk and um shadow helped with a couple others so um wrote a couple books yeah you've wrote a couple books you've been around so for everyone tuning in today we're talking zero trust yep zero trust and uh this was your idea why why zero trust christoph well great question uh i was helping a customer earlier this week and they wanted to implement a zero trust solution and when i asked them like what was their goal with zero trust and it really came down to it was a buzzword that they were told that they need to do and that they were trying to get to achieving that and when i asked them if they really understood the effort that was involved in in truly developing a true zero trust solution, uh, I I don't think they were ready really prepared. Like it was a buzzword that they were sold on, that they were told that, oh yeah, this um cloud tool can help automatically create segmentation for you and make your environment. Dr- zero trust compatible what's zero trust compatible even mean (laughs) zero trust compatible is a new term invented by a marketing person that danny and and chris had they heard that would probably be just shaking their heads disgustingly at this point um you know having said that most people don't understand the zero trust journey you're you're absolutely right they see something from nist from the government from some sort of regulatory body says you should aim for zero trust without fully comprehending what that actually means well let's uh try to break it out for folks let's Um, do it the the three foundational elements of a, a zero trust journey i'll call it a journey because it's not like a project it never ends it's more like a program it's more like your security journey in truth and if you've listened uh to the audiobooks um unicorn um, project and others there's a similar book that was created for zero trust and the, the name of the book is off my head right now but i will 
I will find it out and I'll share it with the rest of the community. But I, re I met the author, um, George Finney, at, at yep. a, at a event out in Vegas. Yeah, I did. I did a podcast with George on his new book. So yeah, yeah, the that, zero that, trust. Yeah, yeah. So so that that that's a great book for understanding the journey in the form of a story. But today we'll we'll kind of go through the different elements. Project Zero Trust is the name of the book. Project Zero Trust. Thank you for finding that. Um, the the first element is all entities are untrusted by default. And that includes me and you within the environment. That includes all your user identities, all your machine identities, all your compute identities, all your resource identities. Nothing is to be trusted in your environment because any one of those identities could be compromised by a threat actor and used to lever leverage themselves and navigate within the environment. Second, since you don't trust anything, you use least privilege. If you were to assign credentials to one of these identities, you give it the least amount of privilege for it to be able to function. And Essentially, that means never trust, always verify. So you don't trust it, but you have to use it. So verify that it really is what it says it is, that it's your own resource in your own network um, doing your jobs. Right. And the, the last fundamental uh, element is assume breach. You want to assume that a threat actor is living and breathing in your environment. And therefore, by not trusting anyone and assigning least privilege, you minimize the potential for a threat actor to live on the land, find resources, and weasel their way into your trust structure. Now, right. before we go on to the seven pillars, just on those three foundational elements, James. How would we rate most businesses on meeting all three of those? Yeah, yeah. It's it's I'm I'm not gonna say it's impossible to meet them, but it's you know, you're talking about a a journey that, you know, is is really I'm not gonna say poor because I feel like that's being too too critical, but poor. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I'd give most organizations a C or a D, if not uh, an F when it comes to this. Um, your, your small, medium-sized companies are definitely starting at an F because they usually trust everything and uh, least privilege is seems like a four-letter word for them. <laughs> they, well, they need to function quickly, right? They, they, well, it, they need to get things spun up. So, so I think we, we as security practitioners, um, because we're so addicted to enterprise level security, because enterprise level security is where all the cool stuff happens. So we look at small and mid-sized companies, you know, the 20, 30 mom, pop shop type of organizations, you know, uh, accounting firm, a law office, uh, a doctor's office, 
you know, regional facilities, you know, you name it, whatever it is. I'd say up to 50 employees where everyone knows everyone, right? Where, you know, you know, Kathy knows Bob and Bob knows Kathy and, 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 and so forth. I wouldn't say that they trust everyone. I would say they work under the assumption that they're not a target. And they do that because guess what? If you're not in cybersecurity and you're just going about your daily life, you probably don't think you are a target. And that's not a bad thing. I kind of like people being naive. (laughs) We have to deal with it. We chose a career in security. We chose a place to be at. These people, they just want to run their business and go home. Now, where does the fault lie in that in that scenario to me would be whoever sets up their IT, right? So if you're a local IT provider in a town where you know you're you're working with these organizations, then the responsibility of that falls on your shoulders. True. Are most IT service providers on that security journey where they they assign least privilege and things do you need it like like these yes you do do do, do you you need it in a a business of 30 people do you need it or are we just complicating things for business why do you need five global administrators in a company size of five within your microsoft tenant you know great question because because no one can agree who's in charge when it's a five person company in 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 a microsoft tenant the other part is one person does x another person does y and you know what this is going to be a knock on microsoft and i'm sorry for all the microsoft listeners and viewers and everyone knows i'm a you know someone who was a detractor of microsoft early on i'm now a fan um and, and believe in what they do but their back office for small business sucks no one understands what roles to assign there's no guidebook for roles there there's a whole bunch of roles hell 95 percent of security practitioners if i took them right now into the role assignment piece in in azure active director or what do they call it now intra id right wouldn't it t- let me know what this role does couldn't do it so how do we expect the business of five or 30 or 40 or 50 or 100 people to do that not to knock on aws they're they're not any better um Salesforce isn't any better. Like these large companies that small, medium-sized businesses use as a foundation for building their business often are created with enterprises in mind and therefore never have the back office for a small, medium-sized company. So in addition to that IT provider, maybe they do need that managed security service provider just to come in and help them with their their security foundations. Um, and it, it, it could be a once a year assessment to say, hey, th- this is where you are. This is where you should be growing to over the next year. And let that be that the journey that they implement on a, a slower pace than an enterprise might but working towards it gradually as their business grows. Um, One of the 
connections in my network wrote a, a book called Startup Secure. And the idea behind it is you implement safe solutions as you grow your organization. Um, you implement MFA as soon as you can. You create a separate user that is your global administrator that has a separate license for that, but then doesn't interact with the rest of the business. And in that way, you can separate your administrative duties from your regular duties. And for a small shop, that extra license might cost a little more, but it's worth it if it's set up right from the beginning because it creates that culture where maybe breach isn't assumed, but there's at least, hey, we, we need to do these little steps to secure our environment as we grow and security becomes part of that culture as we grow. So, so I agree with that. I think our obsession with security is a good one. Our obsession towards startup um, or, or I wouldn't say startup because I think startups are very, very different. And, and depending on the startup, security is almost now always baked into the conversation, right? We see startups actually hire security engineers or virtual CISOs very, very early on, earlier than ever before, uh, irregardless to what they do, whether it be, you know, uh, AI now or anything else. Like as you and I are talking, I see a, a thing that pops up says NVIDIA is now worth $2 trillion. That's their market cap because of the AI frenzy, as one would call it. I mean, <laughs> so so we have this obsession towards these small mid-sized businesses. And I think that, you know, when it comes to security, and 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 it's a it's a worthy it's it's a worthy one but when we talk about zero trust i think you look at the those organizations and it goes against every fiber of their beings as a small business as someone who's ran small businesses right like the whole point of running a small company is you don't want to be corporate you don't want to have badges you want to smile at every person who walks through the door or calls your phone you want to be kind to everyone who comes in and um, and that's, that's zero trust kind of comes off as saying, I shouldn't trust you. Um, I think what we need to do is encourage people to question things without putting it in. I've always said zero trust, a great idea, horrible marketing, right? Yes. <laughs> horrible marketing. Um, you know, we should have a different name for it. Uh, I, I think I think we should have a different name for it, but um, I, I think like George takes it and makes it a more digestible topic. So let me share the link for his book since you shared the link for the other book. Um, I've shared the podcast for George and the links in the notes of the podcast too. Okay, perfect. So yeah, Project Zero Trust is great. Uh, yeah, gr great book, um, easily digestible by non-techies to see how they could go along this journey. Um, but we're, we're at 17 minutes, so I want to be cognizant of time. The next aspect of Zero Trust outside of the three foundational elements is the seven pillars. Users, devices, network environments, application and um, workloads, data, automation and orchestration, and visibility and analytics. 
Right. Now, most companies focus on user devices, networks, and maybe application. And data. Some, uh, some of them have gotten to the point where they know where their data is. They know how to label their data. Um, but they haven't gotten to the point where they can put good controls around who can access the data and what controls are around the data leaving the environment. A lot of companies still haven't gone through their full data governance journey and implemented a, a really well-designed DLP. Like the, the DLPs that people are still using are archaic regx um convulsions that they've put together to look for social security numbers or just fixed patterns within those documents and while that could help it's it's not the end all be all for truly protecting your data and in this type of trust no one or tr verify everyone um, before giving access. Um, automation and orchestration, I think a lot of people have been working on that, uh, at least the automation part. The orchestration part, uh, I mean, SOAR have been around for four or five years now. I, I think they never truly developed the, the use cases that they were envisioned to to do um they started with some some smaller ones but never fully matured to the level that um at least i expected that they would um and, and then the next pillar visibility and analytics a lot of folks do a lot of uh, visibility and analytics are is it the right things right analytics that you're looking at are they get, getting the right logs for the right reasons that one uh, is a constant refinement process, so I don't want to ding folks too hard on that. So, so I, I'm going to come at you and say, first of all, you got to have the data, meaning you got to have visibility, and you've got to have your analytics before you can start addressing user, device, network, environment, application, workload data, and and and, and automation and orchestration. And so, these pillars, while while they're great, I think there's a way. And there's got to be a point where you go, all right, visibility. And the reason I say that is because one of my favorite books, and I feel like we're on a book tirade on this podcast today, is Roger Grimes' Data-Driven Defense, Data-Driven Computer mm -hmm. Defense. And he just released a new version of it. Roger, I think 19 or 20 books at this point that he's released over 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 the last, you know, uh, 10, 15 years. The, the, I mean, the, the man is 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 just a knowledge machine. Uh, I've had him on the show a bunch of times. I've had private conversations with him a whole lot of times. And, and I love Roger, right? But I don't think you can start to address zero trust without having visibility. You got to know what you're going after and you've got to have that layout. And once you've got that layout, then you can start to say, all right, these are all of my users and I have visibility in all of my users. I've got visibility in all of my devices. And now I know user equals device. Now I got to look at user device to network to environment. Then I got to look at user device network to application to workload. What do they need to be? Then I've got to look at that towards data access and, and, and what kind of data do they need? 
And then I look at how do I automate and orchestrate all that data into a single pane of glass that allows my security operations team and my GRC team to properly govern and manage the security risks as they arise. The big thing that we never talk about in Zero Trust, but I think is often misguided because people say, well, it's not part of Zero Trust or it's a, it's a subsector of Zero Trust is vulnerabilities and patching. Vulnerabilities and patching apply at every single one of these levels, and it's probably the top priority of anything to do with zero trust. You got to get a patch, you got to validate it, and you got to put it out. If you don't do that, then nothing that you do in zero trust matters at all at that point, because all you've done is you've put in a framework no different than the CIS top 20 or or, or a MITRE type of framework or even NIST. Um, you've done the zero trust buzzword, but you haven't done anything like that either. Yeah, that's true, uh, and I think that's that comes into the the continuous monitoring and continuous adjustment that is needed for a good uh, zero trust implementation. Is that that visibility, analytics, that orchestration, um, and automation? The automation should be triggered by the patches that are released, and then you work through the orchestration of patching your systems, um, at least in your test dev environment first, making sure that they don't break anything, making sure that everything still functions before you release the prod. Um, but I, I think like if you go through the journey of um, how Project Zero Trust was done, they started with uh, application, then they went to which users, devices, and network environment should this application function under? And then what can we do to secure that application in the network plane, in the application plane, and then in the continuous monitoring and visibility plane? And that, that's another great approach. Um, I, I, I... I agree. Now let's take that approach to a small business. Fair, because we kind of went on that tirade for a second. Mm -hmm. That approach to a small business is typically everyone wears multiple hats because they're a small company, mm -hmm. right? So, so user permissions can no longer be defined by role. Rather, user permissions are likely defined by what do you know how, what to do and can you help me get it done, right? And so at that very moment, you're, you're, you're really looking at applications and you go, well, applications have to be open to almost everyone. Maybe these three people don't need access to all these applications, but everyone else does. And the reason they do is because they need to do work. And again, I think the biggest uh, point with small businesses is they never really define roles because everyone does everything. And that goes contrary to everything we know to be an enterprise. Does that make sense? Uh, yes and no. I mean, I've seen enterprises where you, you get considerably more access than you need because they've inherited legacy systems and they've never went back through to define roles or they're so big that um, you end up needing access to way more systems just to get your job done because that's what they need. Um, but I think for a small business, the fact that you said these three people don't need access, that's a start, right? And then you right. go, these four people, 
don't need admin rights. And then these four people, um, they don't need the ability to look at logs or um, edit logs or maybe do any transactions, cash transactions or whatever. And then those, those little steps that you can take to scope out roles um, is their, their journey. It's not gonna happen overnight. As they grow and people shift into more specialized roles, then they can start to refine that. But like you said, the expectation from the beginning is not that they do it perfect, but that they have it in mind that they just don't blanketly grant access to everyone. Yeah, I completely agree that you shouldn't ever blanket access to anyone. Uh, at, at the same time, I think we, we as security practitioners are oftentimes blinded by the fact that we see security. That's all we see sometimes in our blinders. And sometimes we lack to see business. And I think that's the difference between like a, a, um, one CISO to the other. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Um, we ought to see the business. And so whenever we're going about a zero trust implementation, we have to be able to see the business. What's that business look like? Who's, do, who's, who's engaged in that business. And then, you know, is there a way to limit business or not? And, 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 you know, that's, that's a, one of those things where I feel like in smaller companies, that's harder said than done. Cause in an enterprise, it's clearly defined. This is the DevOps team. They have access to GitHub. They have access to, you know, uh, synopsis. They've got apps access to all these different tools. They've got access to, you know, AWS and whatnot and all these different environments, it gets much harder in a smaller business. In fact, it's harder in smaller companies that that, that stra- zero trust strategy is easier to implement in a larger org than it is in a smaller org. That, that's true. I, I, I would say full implementation really is meant for a larger size organization. Um, but it, it's it, it, with the right mindset, you can work towards that consist, consistently and continuously with a smaller organization. And I think if you have that security and safety culture in mind when you're young, it becomes part of your organization's DNA so that when you do grow, you keep that in mind. Yeah, agreed. And, and as you grow, you're going to hire smarter people to help you manage the growth of the business you want to make sure you hire smart people who are also going to address the security side of the business as well i think that's going to be a critical part to all of that uh we're about a minute in chris any any uh minute left any any parting words for our audience this friday on zero trust i would say your zero trust is a journey and not a project so if this is something that you're truly interested in, feel free to reach out to James or myself for uh, more advice and we, we can help you or refer you to security partners that can help you with that journey. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we're a resource. If you want to hear Chris and I, uh, by the way, talk about any topic that's top of mind for y'all, just shoot us a DM on LinkedIn or, or, or you can go to, you know, the, podcast website cyberhubpodcast.com chris and i both are there and can actually see your uh your requests come through 
and and we're happy to talk about anything. We're really are, are kind of two guys kind of talking about different topics and zero trust deserves a whole lot more than 30 minutes. And we may do a part two and three to this because I feel like we didn't really, we could dive into every single one of those pillars on its own for 30 minutes and talk about it in great detail. And maybe that's something we do if, 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 if you all want to want to get that. So go check out CPF coaching, by the way, if you're not following Chris on Substack, make sure to do that as well. Um, and, and those links will be in the, in the comment section here wherever you're watching us um so so go do that um you can also subscribe to the podcast um my daily podcast 9 a.m monday through thursday with all the latest greatest news um and action items that practitioners need to do chris and i are going to be doing this every friday 11 a.m eastern we're going to start posting the topics beforehand and kind of creating an event around it so we don't just pop on your stream um and we'll Again, we kind of decided to do this a few weeks ago, like three weeks ago, we were having, you know, cookies before I started my diet and, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and, and drinks at a DC hotel. Um, and we're like, what should we do? And, and this was our idea. So go definitely uh, let us know what you think, what you're looking for. Uh, we're happy to uh, talk about anything and everything. Until then, thank you all for tuning in. Have a great weekend. Have a great rest of your day. I think most importantly, stay cyber safe. Stay cyber safe. We love feedback, so make sure to connect with us on social media and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast listening platform.